Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we continue our series, actually finish our series today in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So we've been going through this for a number of weeks, and just as I was preparing and looking over stuff again this morning, uh, I kind of read through the book again, and there's always this feeling of, oh, I wish I would have covered this a little bit better or this a little bit better, but we've had a a great time in uh, this, one of probably Paul's first letters, and uh, got a good overarching view of what is going on here. One of my uh, favorite uh, shows to watch, a sports program, is called Pardon the Interruption. And it's two older guys, uh, one about my age and one about 15 years older, uh, discussing or more specifically arguing about different sports topics. And uh, I don't know why, but I enjoy that and I watch it uh, quite often. And I think some of it is the relationship of the two guys, uh, older one kind of mentoring the younger one when he first came into journalism, things like that interest me. But uh, what's uh, interesting about this whole idea of, of these sports programs is that predominantly, I would say probably about, just my guess, 90% of these people that are discussing, you know, why the quarterback didn't make the pass, why this team isn't doing well, uh, why this person isn't hitting, all these different things, are people who don't play professional sports. They, they are just talking about it. They've never, other than maybe Little League or something like that, never were professional sports. The other group of people that are on the show are people who used to play professional sports. They're retired. That makes up a majority of the people that are having this discussion. And it's amazing to me how much we love to, in our society, play what we have called armchair quarterback, right? Where after the game, we're going to tell you why that was a bad call or why they shouldn't have put that pitcher in or why, you know... uh, they shouldn't have uh, tried to pass the ball, but run it up to the run it up the middle, right? Seahawks fans, right? Are you still bitter about that one? But there's there's all these different reasons why we want to talk about that. What we say, like on Monday morning, you know, it's interesting. We do the same thing in other areas, whether it's politics or church. The church is made up of the body of Christ. We are all called to make disciples. We talk about the priesthood of all believers. And so it's amazing, anytime we have a church discussion on what we should do, how we should move forward, really it's just a room full of experts that don't agree on what we should do. And so what it amazes me is when Paul is talking about the church, he never really mentions that I can think of, somebody will maybe argue with me here, any programs. He doesn't check in on any programs. Are you doing this program? Are you doing that program? He doesn't talk about service times. He doesn't talk about worship styles. He doesn't talk about uh, leadership structures per se. What he talks about is how we are to interact with one another as a church. And so when we get to uh, chapter five here, it seems like uh, this last bit of uh, words, verses 12 through, uh, through the end of the book. In fact, the ESV entitles this Final Instructions and Benedictions. And when you first read it, it sounds like Paul's like, oh, I'm almost done. I should say this. I should say this. I should say this. Let me also mention this. And that's not at all what this section is. Paul is finishing up very precisely in talking to the gospel community, their 
in Thessalonica. And Paul is sticking with his themes. We have talked about that these are ordinary people. They have going through much affliction. We've talked about this. There is persecution, which is probably leads to financial and physical and spiritual. All these things are going. They're facing that affliction with much joy, chapter one. And what we see is that the church is growing. It's continuing to go out. And so Paul praises them for their verse, chapter one, verse three, your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfast hope. And we've looked at those themes as they've gone through Uh, this book, and Paul keeps coming back to the gospel. What makes the church a community is the cross of Jesus Christ. We are, as a church, a gospel, a good news community. And the cross reminds us of at least three things, maybe this morning before we jump into the text. The first is that there is a spiritual battle going on. You know, sometimes we just think this should all be easy. There's a bunch of Christians all together. They all love Jesus. Uh, We should all just be cruising along. But what we see from the point of Genesis chapter 3, actually Genesis chapter 2 on, is that there's a battle going on. And so it shouldn't surprise us when things are difficult. It shouldn't surprise us when marriage is hard and family is as hard because we recognize there's a spiritual battle going on. Second, one of the things that the cross reminds us of is that we're all broken. That every single one of us is broken. We have fallen short. We're not all that we were designed to be. We have sin. We have issues. We have brokenness that keeps coming up. But what we've been singing about this morning, what we've been seeing in the baptisms and talking about is that the cross also reminds us that we can find beauty in brokenness. That God transforms us and changes us. So with that in mind, look at chapter five, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under an oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As I said earlier, it feels like this is just very bullet point, scattered, 
in mind, but it breaks up into three different categories. Paul is reminding us of the responsibility we have to leadership in our gospel communities, the responsibility we have to each other in these gospel communities, and our responsibility to worship in these gospel communities. And when I say worship, don't hear music. It is our active response to God whereby we declare his worth. It's how we uh, live in community, serve in community, glorify God in community. And so he is talking about these three separate areas. Let's look at them individual. A gospel community, this is the church relationship with its leaders. Now, when we're talking about leaders here, we're going to specifically talk about elders. In our church, we have a board of elders uh, that works uh, together in unanimity to make decisions. Uh, we present things to the congregation for affirmations from time to time. And then within those elders, there are some pastors who are, my, like myself, a teaching pastor, Rich, who is, who is a serving pastor here as well. And so when we talk about leadership, we're talking about the elders. Uh, we can think of this in a bigger uh, picture as those who are serving as ministry leaders. But in this sense, I think what Paul is talking about here is the elders in the way that we are to have relationship with them. So what is the responsibility of leadership or of the elders? Leaders labor. He says, we ask you, brothers, to represent those who labor among you. So leaders labor. And I just want to say this, when we think of labor, we instantly think of physical labor and for the most part, being an elder or being a pastor is not always that physical in the labor. Although this week, uh, Rich had that huge tent set up, and we were kind of looking at it on Wednesday uh, after the event. And so Rich said, I'm going to take this down. It's by yourself? And so Rich and I began to take this huge tent down. And uh, when we were, got it all down and we just had the poles, and all those poles needed to go in the basement, at that point in time, I said... Lord bless you, brother. And um, when he was done with that, he was physically sweating. So it's not sometimes as physical, but most of the time, when we talk about the labor of elders, we're talking about an emotional labor. And Paul talks about all the different things that he went through in ministry and shipwrecked and beaten and cast away, all these different things. And then at the end, he says, above all these, I have the, the, the thought of the churches. That, that's what just grabs my mind. And so there's an emotional labor that goes on for those who are elders and pastor, pastors, teachers. Now, in addition, the responsibility of leadership, leaders have oversight. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you. This is the oversight. Um, this morning's reading from our scripture reading came uh, from Acts chapter 1. And for some of you, that's a huge blessing because we're done with Psalms. But we're in Acts. And um, it was the accounting of, of replacing Judas in, as one of the disciples. And it was really interesting to me as they were making that decision because it's so foreign to us, right? And I thought, oh, man, you know, I always read these things. I'm going to research this much, right? Because they, 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 they kind of propose two people and then they cast lots. They didn't have a vote. So this was not a Baptist church. But we don't cast lots today. 
But let me just say this. They were more concerned that God be the decision maker than to give it to a group of people and say, let them be the decision makers. Sometimes leaders have to make decisions. And I will say as an elder, I don't think we've always made all the right decisions. We do the best we can. We pray. We, I mean, I'm not going to point one out specifically, but there's a group of guys that are trying to do the best they can. They have oversight. And here's one we don't like, but it's in the text, so we got to talk about it. Leaders admonish you. Now, specifically, what admonish here, I believe, refers to when behaviors are contrary to God's word. When behaviors of individuals in the church are contrary to what God calls us to, then it is the leadership's job to lovingly admonish that behavior. Now, we have in our society just moved away from that relationship of calling one another out. And partly it's because people have abused that role. And so understand that good leaders labor, good leaders have oversight, and good leaders will call out sin when they see it. Now, what's the role of leadership? He says here, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So there is a spiritual authority with eternal ramifications that is existent within the leadership there. Now, not mentioned in the text, but I would remind us that it's the role of the elders to shepherd. Paul says to the the church in Ephesus in the book of Acts, shepherd the church well. Now, I think that shepherding has a, a wider picture of what it means to feed and to care for and to admonish. All those things kind of wrapped up in this role of shepherding that is throughout Scripture. And Jesus reminds us, that not only do we have spiritual authority and that we should be shepherding, but whatever leadership form there is, there should be servant leadership. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. I don't think we always see that in our culture of what pastoring looks like. Now, I would say one of the roles of leadership as we look at the overall theme of 1 Thessalonians, it's the leadership's job to keep us focused on the gospel. This week, uh, we did a service on Friday for Don Strong, and uh, those of you who don't know Don and Eileen were, they've, I think, been here at least most of the time that I've been here, last 10 years, but they were former members of First Baptist Church of Forest Grove, where they spent most of, the, of their time um, in ministry over the years, and Don sang in the choir there, and so there was a large group of people here. It's always kind of interesting when the church, large C, gets together from Forest Grove people, former First Baptist people, this just group of people that I don't, some of you know where they all fit in, I don't, but we're all together. And uh, for those of you who don't know, First Baptist Church of Forest Grove, uh, recently, last few years, merged with Old Town, uh, a plant of sunrises and they became kind of a one church. And so First Baptist Church of Forest Grove doesn't exist in the way that it used to exist. And so anyway, during the fellowship time, I was talking with one of Don's nephews. 
And he says, uh, he's just talking to me just because, you know, people want to chat with the pastor sometimes afterwards. And he says, well, I go to, I go to First Baptist Forest Grove. And then he just kind of shook his head or Old Town or whatever it's called now. And he said, I have a small group there and there's a group of guys that have been around for a long time and sometimes when they come over to my house, I just had to make a rule, no more complaining. I said, I had to remind them that this is a encouragement time, not a complaining time. Because they would complain about the way things are different now and the music and this and where are the pastors. And I, you know what? He said, I grew up in that church. That's my church. They're still preaching the gospel, so I'm not going anywhere. And I just said thank you to him. Thanks for his attitude. And the building looks different. The music is different. But you know what's not different, he said? The message. It's the role of leadership to make sure the message doesn't change. I'm not saying those other things aren't important. I'm not saying that we don't make some of those changes. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against that or for That's not what the point is. The point is that we got to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. And maybe a coffee cart helps the next generation. Maybe a different music style helps the next generation. We need to talk about all those things. But what we don't talk about ever is changing the message. Now, there's a response that Paul calls to in this passage, and I'm going to go over this real quickly. It's in the passage. It's between you and the Lord. He says, verse 13 to, uh, uh, he says, and, excuse me, verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect. The word respect there in the Greek has the idea of knowledge. It's not just a blind respect. It's relational. This respect is, based on, is not based on perfection. It's, it's not without accountability. It's based on, according to the text, the labor that the leaders are doing. So he calls them to respect those in leadership, to esteem them. And then it seems like, as you're reading it in verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace with uh, among yourselves. There's one of these points in this text where it just seems like Paul is throwing out random things. But as a pastor, I can tell you, he is not. He is saying that, look, that, that leaders labor, they have oversight, they admonish. They're the spiritual leaders, they're shepherding, they're trying to do it with a servant heart, respect them and esteem them, and you're not always going to agree with one another or with them, so be at peace. Don't, don't make trouble. Don't fight. Don't make their, their role harder than it is. It's not at all out of place in the text there. So first, he talks about the church relationship with leaders. Second, the church's relationship with one another. So in verse 14, it changes a little bit, and he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idols. Now he's talking to everybody. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Here's how we're to relate with one another. First of all, the word idle there uh, in the ESV has a footnote, and it says, or disorderly or undisciplined. In my research, I feel like that's the better use of the Greek word there. So first of all, admonish the disorderly or undisciplined. 
The undisciplined is the blank there. Now there's another blank. We're going to come back to that. Just ignore those for a minute. Now, the reason contextually that the authors of the ESV use idle is because it's an issue that keeps seemingly coming up in the book. But if you think of this as the idea of admonishing the disorderly or the undisciplined, undisciplined, the idol still fits with under that general umbrella. And so there is a role of the church, not just the leaders, when you see fellow brothers or sisters not walking according to their profession of faith, that you come alongside of them and remind them. Now, some of you say, yes, this is my gift. Um, I would say, I would say that this is a role that is done in relationship. If you have relationship, if you are in community with them, um, then that is your role. Um, it's not just a random role that everybody gets. Um, as we were sitting in the baptism and Rich invited people up, he, he, he kept widening the, the invites. If you know him and like him, if you're in small group with him, if, if you're a youth, and I, I have to say of, of all the quirky things about our church, I love that. And I know some of you, I can't see, I don't care. I love the picture of people coming up and surrounding the baptism. It's just a beautiful picture of community to me. Look, at any level of relationship, there are those who are closer, and that's okay. And so there is a role in where we need to go, man, I, and I would pray about it. I would do it humbly. I would do it listening. So this is what I see. Can you tell me what you see? But there is a role for us to do that in the church. Now, there's a role for you to do that with leadership too. I'm not saying that. It doesn't exist. Um, but let's keep the main thing the main thing. Um, I, I appreciated uh, Mike. I appreciated this morning a little bit of a guitar solo in there. I like that. But I know I'm friends with Mike. I've talked with him before. And I know that when Mike does that, he probably doesn't appreciate this. I know that when Mike does a little bit of a guitar solo, that he does it with some angst. Um, not because he can't do it, because I've heard him play. He can do better. But because he's afraid, somebody will come up and correct him. And you know what? That's not your job. If you don't like the music, you can come talk to me or David. Yeah, preferably David, but no, you can come talk to us. <laughs> but you don't get to just go tell everybody what your impression of the service was. These are people who are serving the Lord as the leadership has asked them to serve. Okay, so I, I, want, you to, I want you to have the, the word of the Lord go admonish, but I want you to do it with some integrity and purpose. Be nice, yes. Second, he says, encourage the discouraged. In here, in the text, beautiful word. He says, encourage the faint-hearted. Can you picture it? I mean, we can see it. So encourage the discouraged. Again, there's another blank there. I'm going to come back to it. 
And then beautiful picture here, again, he says, admonish the idle or the disorderly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Help the weak. Now, as I look at these things, again, they're not random. This is how the, we, what we're supposed to do as a church. And if we could, I'd just like to break these up into three categories. What I think Paul is saying is, look, we have a role of encouraging and equipping everyone to follow Jesus. And that role includes, at the top back there, that blank, spiritual encouragement. When we admonish people, there is a time where we spiritually correct them. Okay, so the undisciplined, that's a spiritual correction. I want you to think in categories. Is it against, thus saith the Lord? Not thus saith me, not thus saith my tradition, not thus saith my preferences, but thus saith the Lord in scripture. We need to admonish those who are going astray. Second category is encourage the discouraged. This isn't an admonishment, this is an encourage. And it's those who are struggling emotionally. Those who are discouraged. Now, please, I don't mean this to embarrass anybody. I have been here for just past 10 years. And almost, I'm going to say regularly, oftentimes weekly, my friend Doug Stover has called me on Friday. Now, he's got a lot on his plate now. It's kind of not been as regular. He always apologizes for that, like it's his job, like I pay him for that. Doug Stover calls me and asks me how I'm doing. He reminds me that he's praying for me, and he encourages me. Now, I want to I confess to you that sometimes... In a church that's in decline, I get discouraged. Sometimes that discouragement has been a bit overwhelming at times. And I've just said, Lord, you know, uh, would Intel like to hire me? I mean, is there a job for me? Can I do something else? Can I have a timeout? Lord, can you put me on timeout? But you know what? I appreciate those who have made it their ministry to encourage those who are discouraged. And I know that many of you, I can't name the people that call you. But they do. And then finally, help the weak. Sometimes people need a little physical help, whether that's financial or physical. Sometimes people just need a little bit of physical help. And so these are the ways that the church relates to one another. How do we help the weak? Um, you know, sometimes when we talk about our benevolence, we remember where we all came from, that we're all broken. Uh, we repent of our own pride and come alongside them. We, we repent of the idea that we know better because they're there asking for help. We practice generosity. And then in this, it's so beautiful, Paul just says, be patient with them all. Oh, man. This is overarching. Love your neighbor. In the sense of when you talk about the physical weak, the emotional weak, the spiritual uh, going astray, Paul, in a sense, is saying here, recognize everybody's on a journey. Be patient. This is hard. Do unto others as you would 
have them do unto you. So this be patient is this overarching thing. Now, in the text, look at it with me, verse 15. Again, this seems to come out of nowhere. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. We've been talking about all these church relationships, admonishing the undisciplined, encouraging the discouraged, helping the weak, being patient. Why this idea of not repaying anyone evil for evil? Listen, sometimes when we minister to other people, sometimes when we admonish the undisciplined, sometimes when we encourage the discouraged, Sometimes when we help the weak and we do it as unto the Lord, we do the best that we can. We feel God's calling and we say, I'm gonna step in there and I'm gonna get messy with them. And you know what? They don't respond very well. They take your your heart that God has given you and you pour it out there and then they just kind of, oh, you're putting me down. You think you're better than me. How do you know what I should do? You're not the boss. I can tell you all of them. And you go, oh man, I don't want to do that again. Next time, I'm just going to call the pastor. And I want to tell you that that stuff happens in ministry all the time. All the time. And so Paul says, look, when we minister to other times, to other people. Sometimes they're going to return evil for good. When our service is not accepted, we're tempted to say, you're going to treat me that way. I'm going to treat you this way. Paul says, no. Keep on loving. Keep on being good. Don't give up. Finally, we have this relationship with worship. Again, not talking specifically about music, but our active response to God where we declare his worth. Why does this section have to do with church worship? Say, Dave, I don't, I don't see it. First of all, when we get to verse 16 and following, what you can't really see in the English is that these verbs are plural. Y'all rejoice. Y'all keep praying without ceasing. It's, it's corporate. It's not singular. I know that when we read scripture, we read it individually. God, what are you telling me? But he's talking to the church here. Second, as we move through this, prophecies are public acts. And then we get to the one that we always want to talk about when we were in, in high school. Uh, hey, youth pastor, what is a holy kiss? What does that mean? Can we have a sermon on that one? Well, look, a holy kiss, okay, culturally was something that was done at a public gathering. Okay? So when we look at these, and then he asked that these, he says, I put you under oath, verse 27, to have these letter read to the brothers. These are all talking about public acts of worship here. Okay? So when I thought about this idea of, of worship and what he's saying here, rejoice and pray and give thanks, not quenching the spirit, not despising the prophecies. You know, we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. So I think we can follow these categories. Love the Lord with your heart. What is your heart like when you come to public worship? He says it should be joyful. Our hearts should be joyful. 
Jesus has loved you so much that in the midst of your brokenness, he came and died for you so that you might have life. I don't know what the other circumstances are in your life. I know that there's challenges. But can we be joyful that God loved us that much? And he says that joyfulness should be leading you to be praying. Now, I'll have to admit, sometimes when I'm praying, it's, Lord, save me. Lord, rescue me. Lord, put out this fire. Lord, help me. Give me strength. But I think there's a a part in here where our joy just over, uh, just kind of comes out in a prayerful uh, way. And he says, be thankful. Love the Lord with your heart, joyfully, prayerfully, thankfully. Love the Lord with your soul. So interesting phrase here, and he says, verse 19, don't quench the spirit. Wow. Now, I just want to say, this was written to the church. This is written to all of us. This is written to us, not just our charismatic brothers and sisters. So what does it mean to quench the spirit? Let me ask you a few questions. They're on your notes there. Is your soul, is your life receptive to what God is doing? Are you receptive to what God is doing? Now, most of us like to do something and then ask God to bless it. Um, my wife and I uh, were on vacation earlier this year, uh, in March, and uh, we were down in California uh, visiting her dad, and one day we just, we just kind of went to a beach, just kind of sat. It wasn't quite beach weather. It was a little overcast, a little cool. Uh, it was in the 70s, which for us, you know, from Portland here felt like it was 80 or 90, and we just put our, put our chairs there and sat on the beach for a while. And there's this kid out there, say probably junior high or younger, who was trying to learn how to surf. And uh, I've never surfed, but I had kids in my youth group that surfed. I know a little bit about it. And uh, so I was watching him, and uh, he would get out there to the wave, and the wave was coming, and I was saying in my mind, I want to go out there and start, start paddling. Start, you got, you got to get out there in front of the wave, and he'd wait for it, and then the wave would come and pass him by, and then you'd see him go. <laughs> I go, oh, I missed it. Again. And the next wave would come, and I would say in my mind, start paddling. Sometimes it feels like the church is like that. God sends a wave, and we're like going, God, we're, we're trying to be over here, and God's like, I'm working over here. Could you catch the wave? Start paddling. Is your soul, is your life, are you focused on where God is going? We talked about this in, in light of the culture in which we live in, that it is very much not a Christian thought or nation at this point in time and we can just throw our hands up close the doors and say let's just hunker in but what we have before us is an opportunity to take the gospel to a people who have not heard we get to be missionaries in our own town are you focused on what God is doing in a sense here are you attentive to what God is saying and so he has 
the idea of prophecies here. Excuse me, I lost my page. Here we go. Do not despise prophecies. Prophecies can be seen as, uh, in some context, the preaching of God's word. Uh, Some people just see prophecies as, thus saith the Lord. And I think there's a reality where there's a combination of both in Scripture. We see some prophecies who have become written Scripture. Um, We see here, he says, don't despise them, but test them. So he's saying not all of them are, thus saith the Lord, if you're testing them. And so we need to be uh, careful of what's being said and check it. Um, I'm always fearful when somebody says, God told me. Now, part of that is my upbringing. God's told you to do something, and it is within the bounds of Scripture. And go do it. But if God has told you to do something, don't make it a thus saith the Lord for everybody. Okay? Now, we, Barbara was talking about, you know, the homeschooling and the Christian education and, uh, you know, schools and all these different things in her time this morning. This has been one of the things that I have seen people do, the thus saith the Lord thing. Some of you have been in those churches. Where all of a sudden it's like, well, we think it's homeschooling and Jesus wants us to all homeschool. And if you don't homeschool, look, if God's telling you to homeschool your kids, then you better do it. But it's not prophecy for everybody. Okay, so be careful with that kind of thing. So, so look, with, within this idea of church, there is this soul that we're, we are making sure that we're listening and focused and attentive to what God is doing, what God is, where God is going and what he is saying. And then love the Lord with your mind. He says here, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from, from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. There's a sanctification process that uh, Paul introduced in chapter 4 that we've been talking about, that God is working in you the same time you are submitting to it, and so are you engaging in that with your mind and with your heart and with your soul? Are you living righteously? Abstain from every form of evil. Are you living righteously? Are you dependent on God? Now, I need to move through the application and action very quickly. We've had a full service, and there's a few things I want, uh, there's one thing I want to talk about specifically. So in your notes there, there's three application points. They have to do with our assessment. Uh, Help us build empowering leadership. Help us build loving relationships and help us build inspiring worship. Those were three of the areas that we discussed and empowering leadership was, was low, uh, be the lowest on our rating. Uh, I think inspiring worship was the highest. But in that idea, there's, there's a concept of where, yes, the elders are working hard. Um, you know, I just want to report to you, we are meeting, we are talking about vision, we are talking about direction, we are talking about the assessment. And we just said at the last meeting, and I said, I feel pressure, general, to come to the congregation and say, this is what we're doing in regard levels of feeling the same thing. And I believe it was Fred, and I don't want to misquote him. He said, 
I understand the pressure, but I feel more pressure to make sure that we get it right. And so we agreed it's both. <laughs> Got to quickly get this thing right. But when I say help us, I, I want you to say is if you're just sitting around saying, fix it, that's not going to work. That we all have to do it together. 